I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Welcome to another edition of Solar Speaks, the Solar Power World podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. Today we're talking to Hannah Masterjohn, Community Solar Advocate for Vote Solar, a San Francisco-based solar advocacy group. Vote Solar has a policy toolkit that helps communities create community solar programs across the country. Hannah, thanks for joining us. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us what Vote Solar is all about and what its mission is? Vote Solar is a national nonprofit grassroots organization. We work to foster economic opportunity and promote a cleaner, healthier environment by bringing solar energy into the mainstream. We had our 10th birthday this year, so we've been engaged in state, local, and federal advocacy campaigns since 2002. We work to remove market barriers and implement the key policies needed to really bring solar to scale. Can you tell our listeners about the traditional methods through which consumers and commercial entities harness solar energy? So typically, in the olden days, folks would purchase solar systems outright. So 20, 25, 30, 40, $50,000 cash, and people would purchase residential PV systems uh, to put on their homes. More recently, over the past five plus years, we've had uh, solar leases, solar power purchase agreements developed where you have a third party own and operate the system on your roof, and you either lease that system from them or you buy the electricity that it produces, which is great because it allows folks to pay over time for the solar electricity, which is how people are used to paying for electricity rather than, rather than it's some kind of huge upfront sum. Uh, so those are the models through which folks have gone solar to date. So what are the drawbacks to those models? The drawback is if you don't own property or if the property that you own isn't suitable for PV, you got no options. So if you're a renter, if you have a nice, big, beautiful house, but you also have a nice, big, beautiful oak tree that shades your roof, you got nothing. You have no place to put the PV. So it doesn't matter how much you want it. You know, there's just really no way that you can invest in solar. So can you explain the concept of community-shared solar? How does it work, and who are you hoping to reach? So with community-shared solar, electricity customers can choose to subscribe to a community-shared solar system that might be built on a Walmart roof or on an old landfill or in a city park. And those customers then get a credit on their utility bill for the energy that's produced by their share of the system. So it's basically like having a system on your roof, except it's not on your roof. The great thing about this business model is that it gives renters those homeowners and small businesses that might have a shaded roof, people in big cities, dense neighborhoods where you don't have a lot of rooftop space, all these people now have the ability to invest in solar. And that's what's so exciting to me about this business model. You've got all these people, you know, 90 plus percent of Americans who say over and over in surveys that they want to support solar energy. But right now, so many of them just don't have any pathway to do that. And shared solar will give them that opportunity. Doesn't community-shared solar sort of fly in the face of traditional electricity production, taking generation out of the hands of large utilities and giving it back to individual stakeholders? And should utilities be worried about the concept? You know, utilities realize that their customers want clean energy. Many utilities have actually embraced community-shared solar, especially when they themselves have the opportunity to own the generating facilities. So Tucson Electric Power in Arizona has launched this Bright Tucson Shared Solar Program, 
I think that's a great model for how investor-owned utilities can benefit from, from shared solar programs. So tell us about the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, or IREC. What does it do, and how has it helped vote solar promote community shared solar? IREC is one of the oldest and most respected renewable energy advocacy organizations in the country. They've developed a set of model rules for community renewables programs that serve as an excellent starting point for states looking to create these community shared solar programs. They've done all the legal work and background, and so states can take these model rules and sort of tailor them to fit their own unique circumstances, but a lot of the work's already been done. Where would they find that information? IREC's website is IRECUSA, I-R-E-C-U-S-A, dot org. So what policies and regulations should our listeners be aware of as they're exploring this new model of solar energy production? Well, folks need to realize that community shared solar is not currently legal in most states. So in order to make it possible, especially in states with fully regulated energy markets, we have to pass legislation that enables the energy credits from a given solar system on one property to be allocated out to the accounts of customers in different locations. That framework isn't in place in most states. So we really do have our work cut out for us in bringing this business model to the majority of Americans, and that's something that I and Vote Solar are working very hard at. How are you working on it? We're working at the state level in a handful of states. California is a big one right now, and I think we'll cover that in a few minutes here, to make sure that we can get those policies passed. Tell us about the Solar Uniting Neighborhoods, or SUN Act, that was introduced by Colorado Senator Mark Udall, and how it is expected to help build more opportunities for community-shared solar. What I do know is that the bill would extend the 30% tax credit for on-site residential PV systems. This is the federal tax credit. It would extend that to those who participate in community-shared solar programs. So it would greatly improve the economics of participating. And the idea is to make sure that all electricity customers have the opportunity to take advantage of this federal tax credit, not just those who own homes. You know, so if the federal government's going to support solar development, they should do it equitably. But, you know, I think with the investment tax credit already set to expire at the end of 2016, it's important that we as the industry start thinking about longer-term solutions to making solar truly affordable. I understand there was a big vote in the California Assembly recently on Senate Bill 843. Can you tell our listeners exactly what the bill would do and how it fared? This is a big deal. So Senate Bill 843 would create a two-gigawatt community-shared solar program for customers of California's three big investor-owned utilities, PG&E, SDG&E, and uh, SCE. This program would be additive to the state's RPS, so it creates a huge new solar development opportunity. The bill did pass out of the Assembly's Utilities and Commerce Committee yesterday, June 25th, with a 9-2 to vote in that committee. And we consider this committee our biggest hurdle to getting the bill passed. So it's great to have this behind us. Now we're on to Appropriations Committee, and then we hope up for a full floor vote uh, later this summer. How long is it going to be in the Appropriations Committee? I believe the hearing is July 14th. And then after that, how long before the floor vote usually? We'd love to see the floor vote mid to late August. I also understand there's a big vote coming up in New York soon. Can you give us a sense of what's going on in the solar industry in the Empire State? 
Unfortunately, the clean energy package in New York ultimately failed here in the final days of, of the legislative session. It was a multi-year valiant effort by a really broad coalition of labor and environmental groups. And in the end, you know, messy New York politics killed it. New York's solar picture did get a little brighter this year with Governor Cuomo's New York Sun program, which commits about a half million in funding to increase solar development in the state. And had this broader, the governor's broader New York Sun Act been passed by the legislature, you know, we would have seen the kind of long-term commitment and, and true leadership that I think New York deserves. I, I'm in New York. I'm a New Yorker myself. And uh, right now we're getting beat pretty bad by New Jersey as far as the solar market goes. And so I think that this is a big priority for us here at Boat Solar is to make sure that New York can be the leader that it should be. You mentioned messy politics killed the bill. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, the bill uh, had strong support in both the Assembly and the Senate. It was packaged as part of a larger clean energy package, as I mentioned, you know, just in the, the last hours of the legislative session this year. And essentially, Speaker Silver in the Assembly did not want to basically move it forward and, and didn't move it forward for a vote in the Assembly. So uh, so it did not go through this year. Will it have a chance to come back next year? Absolutely. I think we just have to figure out the right way to package it. There is a lot of momentum. We got an incredible amount of grassroots support across the state. Like I said, a really broad coalition of, of interest behind this. And in the end, honestly, I think it, it didn't pass for reasons that almost had little to do with the substance of the bill, which is really unfortunate. So we saw how much New Yorkers want, want solar, and I'm confident that we can do something next year. If people want to find out more about Vote Solar and its network of state and regional activists, where would they find that information, and how do they get involved? We've got a great website at votesolar.org. We have a blog on there where we post the latest news of solar happenings across the country. Most importantly, we've got a great member network, so folks can sign up to get updates and action alerts. So if there's a solar vote coming up in their state, they can make their voices heard to the representatives through emails or phone calls. You know, people need to realize that this is a democratic country, and if they really want to make a difference, they have to vote. Elect officials that represent your values, and then keep reminding them what your values are. We here at Vote Solar do everything we can to keep solar front and center in the minds of our elected officials, but it's ultimately our members, their constituents, that give us the power to make a difference. So I urge people to sign up online and, and get involved. We've been talking to Hannah Masterjohn, community solar advocate for Vote Solar, a San Francisco-based solar advocacy group, about the organization's policy toolkit to help the creation of community solar programs across the country. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you. This has been Solar Speaks, Solar Power World Magazine's podcast series that gives you the opportunity to hear from the industry's biggest newsmakers in their own words. I'm Frank Andorka, Editorial Director of Solar Power World Magazine. Until next time.